Hi, welcome to this Property Life podcast. I'm Mark Winship. I'm a property investor and mentor, and each week my friends and I will be speaking to a very special guest about their experience in property. In this special panel show episode, myself and my co-host James D'Souza are talking with John Hurst about pensions. John is a chartered financial planner and director at Charles Dean Limited. No matter what your age or situation, this is a must-listen episode, as John sheds light on how to use your pension to grow your property portfolio and how to use property to bolster your pension fund, and all of this before you even reach retirement age. We also discuss how we can help other people maximize their own pension funds and questions to ask of potential angel investors. This is a chunky episode, so make yourself a cuppa and settle down because I can pretty much guarantee that this episode will completely change the way you think about your pension and how to make it work for you. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this panel show in which we are talking all things pensions. Um, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James D'Souza. James, how are you doing? I'm very good, Mark. Thank you for having me on again. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, as always, we come with uh, we come with backup. <laughs> so we're here with uh, with John Hurst from uh, from Charles Dean Limited Financial Planners. Uh, hi, John. Thanks uh, for joining yeah. us. How are you both? We're good. Yeah, thanks. Really good. Thank you. Excellent. Um, I think the three of us have got a tough task on our hands here because we need to find a way to make pensions sexy. So, 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 how how are we gonna how are we gonna do that? How what you know keep, how are we gonna keep our clothes on as well? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've had some jobs and some tasks in my time, but um, yeah, exactly, yeah. So no, no. Um, hopefully throughout um throughout our chat today, uh, I'll get you to see that whilst pensions, yeah, they do have a bad rep, and you know, I'm not going to sit here and defend the pension industry because in some cases it's pretty indefensible. Uh, but if you are savvy enough and kind of switched on enough, there are quite a lot of different ways that you could use your pension funds to either further your own portfolio or potentially help others further their portfolios as well. Cool. Well, that sounds like a pretty good place to start. Yeah, it's um, the thing with pensions, really, it's, it really depends on what you want to do with them. Yeah. Um, and it depends what your kind of appetite and your kind of overall plan is. Um, so without kind of giving too much away too quickly, yeah. um, you can buy certain types of property with your pension. Yeah. And you can also make certain types of types of loan from your pension scheme as well. Okay, fantastic. So that, that's that's cool. So I've got I've got loads of questions on this stuff because it's um you know it's an area that 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 uh, I'm really interested in and interested in knowing more about. Um, so I've got a load of questions. What I've also done is I've I've put um, the fact that that the three of us will be chatting all things pensions out onto our Facebook community, um, and I've I've asked our community over at the the Property Wealth System uh, Facebook group what what they would be interested in finding out. And um, one one of our, our our community members, Lynn, has asked about a SIP pension and how she could go about using that in terms of growing her property portfolio. So what what I understand Lynn's talking about there is a particular type of pension. 
So that sounds like a great place to to sort of kick things off in terms of what are the types of, of pensions and and how do they work? Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a really good question from Lynn, actually. Um, I suppose just before we do get into it, just um, with my regulatory hat on, um, <laughs> uh, kind of anything that we're going to discuss today is purely kind of for illustrative purposes. Yeah. Um, and obviously the suitability of, of anything that we discuss today is, is going to be down on an individual yeah. level. But, Understood. Yeah. No, no personal advice, anything like that. No. Yeah. Brilliant. Hats off now. So, yeah. right. Um, basically, with personal pensions, um, I, I will kind of get round to answering what a SIP is, but I think it's important just to kind of give a bit of background, really, yeah. and, and, and discuss the other types of pensions just for in the interest of fullness. Um, so, Lynn, I, I will get round to answering what a SIP is, I promise. But, um, so, you've got three main types of pension. Okay. You've got state pension, which you get when you get it, basically. You know, yeah, that's your hundred hundred and fifteen pound a week. Yeah, yeah, or or whatever the equivalent yeah. is when, whenever they decide that you can actually get to state retirement age, um, which you know sixty eight at the minute for a lot of us. But um, based on kind of just my opinion, that will go up as well yeah. over the years. Um, but there's not a lot in, in terms of using your state pension to help you um, kind of build your portfolio and progress there's nothing that you can do really yeah that's just i guess for a bit of pocket money in in old age that's that's all we need to view that state pension as yeah yeah no that's a good way of viewing it actually yeah um then in terms of your your kind of individual pensions they fall into two categories okay you've got defined benefit pensions and you've got defined contribution pensions okay and the key thing to probably take away from that is that in a defined benefit scheme, what you get at the end is defined by the benefits you were on whilst you were working there. Right. So the most common example of those and, and what most people will probably you know, know them more commonly as is a final salary pension. OK. OK. Um, sorry. No, I was going to say a final salary. Yeah, because I've, I've heard the term, but I think they are um they're more difficult to come by aren't they i think yeah they're like gold dust to yeah. be honest um yeah. the police used to have them and it was it was only certain industries that had them it, it's mainly nowadays it's only mainly public sector yeah um I, I, we could probably spend a whole podcast yeah. <laughs> talking yeah. talking about those schemes but um the key to to remember with those is that they will pay you a guaranteed income for life yeah. Okay. So in the eyes of um, the regulators, insurers, um, you know, providers, it's almost a case you've got a guaranteed income for life. Why would you give that up? Yeah. Okay. So it's not to say that you can't look to do something with those types of schemes. Yeah. It's just that there is a lot more, and rightly so, there's a lot more regulation and okay. kind of red tape behind them. So. Yeah. If anyone does have any of those types of schemes or think they might have any types of those schemes, yeah. I, I would say if, if they just want to get in touch, I'm happy to kind of spend yeah. a bit of time just 
going to have the pros and cons of those. So for the purposes of this conversation, we'll sort of park that 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 type of pension and then and then look at the types that the vast majority of people will be more familiar with and that can potentially be used to build a portfolio. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Um so with your kind of defined contribution side of the pension schemes, um the key there again is that the money that you get at the end is defined primarily by the contributions that you make yeah. in. So most people nowadays, if they work for a company, will have been automatically enrolled into a workplace pension scheme, as is the legislation. Yeah. Yep. Um, so those types of pensions, we would bracket into the personal pension okay. side. Okay. And those pensions, they're not designed to do anything spectacular. Um, they will traditionally be invested in, in a default investment portfolio that one of the big insurance companies have decided where, where it should go. Um, you don't really get that much control over it. And when you do, it, you're normally contained to a set number of investments that you could make. Yeah. But like I say, they're, they're not designed to be anything spectacular. You know, that's not their remit. So, um, then kind of the next step up from personal pensions, you move on to SIPs. Okay. Um, and SIP stands for self-invested personal pension. Yeah. Now, the key there is the self-investment part of it. And SIP, to be honest with you, there, there are a lot of companies out there that will call their product a SIP, but it's not really a SIP. Right. Um, so I'll elaborate on that. Um, so... Some of the key things that a SIP will allow you to do is um, straight off the bat and, and probably the most kind of important for, for your listeners is you can buy commercial property. Okay. okay. Yeah. So so your pension could own a commercial property. Okay. D does it have to own that outright, John, or can it obtain finance to buy that? Um, good question. Yeah. So uh, you could do it one of three ways. Okay. You could buy it outright. Yeah. You can gear up a SIP mm -hmm. so you can borrow 50% of your pension's value into the pension. Okay. So say if you've got £100,000, you could borrow an additional £50,000 and essentially mm. get a mortgage against your pension. So you can effectively leverage your own pension. You can gear up your own pension and, and borrow against it. Correct. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, the borrowing as well, uh, it, it doesn't have to come from some of your traditional sources either. It could it, it could come from a bank. Yeah. It could come from an angel investor. It could come from a JV partner. It could come from yourself. You know, if you had the cash sat lying around, you could yeah. be the borrower to your pension. So. Yeah. Um, or you could uh, part purchase within your pension. So say if uh, there was two, three, four or five of you however many and you all had a little bit in a pension you could all buy a percentage of that property with your own pension as well syndicate kind of mentality essentially mm. yeah yeah it doesn't have to be with another pension either it could be with just another investor another individual it, it doesn't really matter to be fair um, so this applies to commercial property so so what are we talking we're talking office space shop Re retail space yeah that kind of thing so presumably 
you know, potentially as well, if, if you own a business, business premises, that, that, that kind of thing, would, would that work? Yeah, so to, to give you uh, an example of yeah. um, a, a kind of a deal like that that we've done with a, a client. Um, client uh, was working out of a factory um, that they make boxes and yeah. um, they've been working out of a factory for a decade or so. And the opportunity arose for them to buy the factory. Okay. Um, so uh, round numbers, factory is worth a million pound. Okay. Yeah. Client had um, two hundred thousand pound in their pension. Okay. Um, so what we did is um, we made a contribution from the business into the pension. Okay. Yeah. Um, that contribution uh, attracted corporation tax relief. Yeah. So that's a that's a business expense in effect. Yeah. Yeah. It essentially, comes off your top line profit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so contribution into the pension scheme builds up the money in the pension, builds yep. the buying power. Yep. yep. We then um, went to a, a borrower. In this instance, it was it was a bank. Yeah. Um, because the client already had a relationship with the bank, so it made it a little bit easier. Um, the bank then borrowed into the pension scheme, so it lent the pension scheme a hundred thousand pound. Yeah to give the pension scheme £300,000 worth of borrowing power. Okay. And then it, it then lent to uh, the limited company to do the rest of the purchase. So it was essentially a 70-30% split. Got you. Okay. Um, on, on that topic, John, is there a cap as to how much a business can actually then contribute to a pension if this is potentially a way to, to alleviate some corporation tax? Uh, it, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, as with anything pensions, it's not a simple straight. Forward. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so basically, um, you get a, an annual allowance of £40,000. As, as an individual, each person? As an individual, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, providing that you meet um, certain criteria, you can go back three years... Right. And use any allowance that you didn't use up in those years. Okay. So, the maximum you could do in any one year is one hundred and sixty thousand pound, which is forty in the current year, and then forty for the last three times years. three years. Yeah. So, so in this situation, I guess the the your client hadn't maximum utilised his his allowance from previous years, which is why he could then boost that quite substantially in that one year. Correct. Yeah, I mean, they had little bits of pension lying around, um, yeah. which we, we kind of pulled together, and then they made a contribution on top. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that forty thousand though is your maximum tax relievable allowance. So that's the maximum you would get tax relief on. You can make more than the forty in any one given year. You just wouldn't get tax relief on it. So, so it doesn't people... become quite as sexy, I guess, doing it that way. Well, yeah, to, to kind of borrow a phrase from Mark from, from earlier, um, we're not making pensions very sexy then at that point. We're not getting tax relief. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so so that in that scenario, so you, the, pen, the contribution can either come personally or through the business. If it was from the business, you can claim it as a business expense. Um, if you make it personally, you can claim personal tax relief at your personal rate of income tax. 
So if you're 20% taxpayer, you get 20%, 40% gets 40, etc. Um, the key benefit though of, of kind of that scenario is um, once the purchase has gone through, yeah, you're then paying rent from your business into your pension. Okay. Um, because you've got a, a landlord-tenant relationship then. Yeah. Um, so rent is a business expense. Yeah. That you're then paying into your pension. So there's oh, a real win-win here. It's tax deductible it? and it's building yeah. your own yeah. tax-free, I guess, pension. Yeah. It, it, it essentially becomes a self-fulfilling circle at that point. Mm. So, so your pension has enabled you to invest in property and, and add to your portfolio, if you like. But at the same time, the property then is enhancing your pension pot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, I suppose, sexy benefits of, of that is that there's no capital gains tax within a pension. Right. So, so okay. any, any, any gain that that, so that factory you said was a million. If let's say in the future, your client sells that for 2 million, the pension doesn't have to pay any tax on that gain as such. Uh, on its percentage of the ownership yeah yes yeah. yes 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 yeah so what about that, um, sorry sorry john what, what what about inheritance tax does, does how does that uh, if there's if there's property owned by the pension which is essentially a trust mm -hmm. is that right so, yeah. so how does that work when it comes to inheritance tax um so any asset held within your pension as you, you quite rightly mentioned the pension is effectively yeah. a trust yeah. So it falls outside of your estate for inheritance right. tax purposes. Okay. Great. So, what, what is is there any tax to be paid on that then? Uh, yeah, it, it it depends. Again, with yeah. <laughs> with pension, it's it's never a, a kind of a straight answer. So it, it, taking it a bit morbidly, um, if you were to pass away, uh, the the tax rules basically depend on how old you are and whether you've accessed the pension or not. Okay. Okay. So if you're um, below 75 and you haven't accessed the pension, then there's no income tax to pay. So basically your um, beneficiary could get all of that. Okay. Um, again, to kind of touch on that point there, it's income tax that they would pay mm. on, on death and getting the money back rather than inheritance tax. Yeah. If you've accessed the pension, so let's say you, you've taken your 25% tax-free lump sum, for example, uh, which is, is what you're entitled to after the age of 55. Yeah. Although that's going up to 57 in 2028. But okay. Yeah. For the purposes of, of this chat. It's, Today. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you get 25% tax-free lump sum, basically. Um, so pensions worth £100,000, you get £25,000 tax free. The rest of that you can have, but it gets added to your income. Yeah. So yeah. what Maybe. some people do is they'll take the lump sum and potentially use that as deposit on mm -hmm. some properties. Yeah. Tax free lump sum. Yeah. And um, now this is falling outside the scope of pension, so it doesn't have to be commercial property anymore either. Correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so again, not financial advice, but um, what some people do is they'll take their twenty-five percent lump sum and then, like, say, use that on deposits on a buy-to-let or 
HMO or you know whatever their strategy is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Can I just jump back to so in the pension buying commercial property now? Is there a line there? Because, for example, a hotel is a commercial property, but, you know, it's one of Mark's specialist strategies, service accommodation. It kind of falls under the scope of uh, potentially kind of a, a good, solid strategy that we that we teach that, that a lot of people feels quite accessible to them. So would you be able to buy, let's say, for example, a hotel under a pension and run it as service accommodation? Um, so without kind of sounding like a broken record <laughs> um no it's the answer really is it depends on the provider okay okay so it depends on who your provider is and who your trustee is because they will each have their own different interpretation of what hmrc's rule book allows mm. okay because uh, hotels um care homes social housing nursing homes uh, rehabilitation centres, those kind of things, strictly speaking, are allowed as an investment, but it's quite a grey area. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, it's that's where it's really important that you've got the right pension provider and pension trustee to to make sure that you've got someone who has the same risk appetite as what you're looking to do basically and as kind of a not so shameless plug that's where someone like myself would come in to make sure that you know your provider is matched up with your objectives um to answer your question directly um yes you can buy hotels mm-hmm. and uh, you can do b&bs uh you can do a, a care home uh you can do a halls of residence um Again, each with their own particular set of rules. Yeah. A very, very, very common question that I get from from a lot of our property professional clients is, can I do uh, service accommodation, HMOs, Airbnbs, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing? And the short answer on that is no. Okay. Um, There is a potential solution to that problem, which... Um, again, you know, bring it back to trying to make pensions exciting. We'll I'll go on to that in a bit more detail later. Um, Dangling the carrot there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, you've got to with pensions, or else. Yeah. Um, basically, with service accommodation HMOs, um, whilst you may own them on a commercial class usage, or they yeah. might be a commercial mortgage, or it might be through a limited company. For the purposes of a pension scheme, HMRC deem them as residential. Okay. And the reasons why is HMRC would argue that someone could live there, so it could be residential. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we kind of, a couple of years ago when we had this conversation, we made the argument to say, well, you know, the idea behind serviced accommodation is that it's for no longer than a, a 30-day period, for example. Yeah. So, someone couldn't live there and it's, they, and, it, and it's nobody's prime residence no no yeah. but but they came back and said well someone could yeah like, well okay, that was the end of that argument yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically their their main 
criteria and, and this is if you're going to look at doing something like a hotel or, or something like that a and b is you've got to ask yourself are those rooms self-contained yeah okay and could someone physically live there yeah um if the answer is they are self-contained then from a pension perspective it would be deemed as being residential so a hotel for example you've got no cooking facilities which is why it's not deemed to be self-contained correct yeah yeah um so a lot of those types of queries are kind of a case-by-case basis yeah really um the other side of it as well is um and and i had this the other day with a, a query it was we were looking at um uh, so it's like a five-year lease someone had with a care company. Um, so it's a HMO, but they converted it to a, a, like a care residence. And yeah. um, the argument that came back there was said, well, at the end of that five-year lease, it stops becoming a care home. It's essentially it's five right. flats. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, that that's kind of, if you look at it that way, then, then you're not going to be too far wrong. But again, mm-hmm. it's kind of a case-by-case basis, really. Yeah. So, so SIPs, you can invest in commercial property. Yes. You, we're all, we're all, we're probably all guilty of this in terms of seeing pensions a little bit as something that we park and we put on the back burner and it's not relevant for us for, you know, a a period of time. Um, You know, we're all familiar with the idea that we can't access our pension pot until we get to a certain age. But, but what about what we're talking about here? So does that mean I can't purchase a commercial property? with my pensions until I'm 55 or how does uh, that work? Yeah, no, t- to the contrary. Um, you could have a commercial property in there right from birth until death. Um, so that there's no limit on age as to what type of investment you could have. So that's what I think makes this really powerful, isn't it? And really interesting because like I said, we're so used to just assuming that I'll, I'll worry about my pension and what I can do with it, you know, until I'm I'm 55 or 57 or whatever it might be further down the line. But but actually, this is all about how you can utilize your pension as a vehicle now to help you grow your portfolio. And and, and like we've talked about in terms of renting back again, the, the, the opportunity to also bolster that pension pot, you know, over the years. Uh, absolutely yeah and uh, you know the, the amount of times i've had conversations with people who you know get to their sort of 50s or 60s and and say oh i wish i'd known that i could have done that 20 years yeah. ago yeah because then you've got 20 years worth of capital growth on the building that you're not going to pay any capital yeah. gains tax mm-hmm. on yeah you've had 20 years worth of rent that is a business expense going yeah. into your pension yeah. and to use another example, we, we've got um, some clients who um, they, they own a double glazing business and um, they purchased a, a unit, turned it into a showroom. So the pension paid for a lot of those redevelopments as well. Yeah. Um, and then over the years, their rent's built up and they're now buying next door. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're using right. their pension funds and the money that they paid into their pension to build their portfolio by virtue of just the rent that's been coming in. Yeah over the years fantastic that's a great story yeah so there's there'll be a lot of people listening to this like me now that are thinking where did i put that where's that paperwork (laughs) (laughs) and and then let me understand what pension scheme i'm on and 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 that Mm. sort of thing so 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 what about the other types then so so that's that's sip 
that's a good overview of SIP, I think, isn't it? What What about some of the other the, the types? Sure. Um, just to to sort of touch on 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 one or two of the other things that you could do in a SIP as well. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, sorry, um, I got more. carried away with yeah. commercial property. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you can buy land as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can buy commercial and convert to residential. Right. However, and and there's always a but, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you would have to dispose of the property out of the pension before it was deemed as being classed as residential. So you'd have to sell it, sell it, all, but you could sell it to your own company or or something like that, can you? Yeah. 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 And, and does that does that have to take place at market value? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's two um, distinctions you've got to make uh, when you're purchasing an asset within a pension, and that says. If it's deemed as connected by HMRC, so if you're buying from yourself or selling to yourself mm. or renting to yourself, you've got to be able to evidence that you're doing that at a fair commercial rate. So yeah. a RICS approved surveyor, basically. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a third party or if you're just buying from the market or renting to a third party or renting to the market or anything like that, then you're free to, to negotiate terms mm. as you would kind of any other deal, really. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a good point to raise. Yeah. yeah. And I suspect that's going to come into play a little bit later in the conversation, isn't it? When we start talking about one of the other benefits and uh, and and the idea of rent back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what, what about overseas property, John? I've, I've heard you can be buying overseas property with a pension. Is that? You can, technically. Yes. Uh, the difficulty with, with that arises in the, say... Say if you wanted to buy, I, I don't know, a shop in Spain, for argument's sake, you would need a Spanish property lawyer that knew UK pension law. And you would need a UK pension lawyer that knows Spanish property law. Yeah. So. So it has to be an overseas commercial property as well. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be a. Can't, a can't buy yourself a nice villa in Spain. No. Off your pension. No. That's Unfortunately, well, well, not that way. <laughs> not that way. No, no, no. There might be another way to do it, but um, yeah, um, yeah. So it's it, it, technically you can, but uh, actually, in reality, yeah, probably complicated. Yeah, okay. probably cost you more in legal fees than actually. But again, by all means, if you do know a Spanish um, property lawyer that knows UK pension law, please you know, pass them my details. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there might be some business for them. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, that's in terms of, of properties you can buy unlisted shares as well. So uh, a conversation I was having recently was um, a, a, an angel investor had uh, set up a company for the purposes of um, kind of having the funds available to, to, to lend out to, to investors. Yeah. And um, they were selling shares in that business right? Um, as a way of them raising finance. Yeah. Um, so they then had more money to, to loan out. Um, so you, you can buy shares in an unlisted business as well. Okay. Um, the, the key there is that your pension and you combined can't be a controlling director. Right. So as long as you don't combine own more than 19.999% then. Yeah, you do that, um, and you can also make a loan to a third party. 
Right. So, so this is one of those sexy things that we were yeah. talking about. My ears have picked up already now. <laughs> yes. So you can make a loan from a SIP to an unconnected third party. Okay. And as with anything rule book wise, it's particularly grey on what's classed as a connected or unconnected party. Yeah. Um, so again, a lot of it is case by case basis. Okay. Um, but as a rule of thumb, if it's family or a business partner or a JV partner or, you know, something like that, then it's generally going to be classed as being connected right. because you've got an existing relationship there. Yeah. But um, a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I hesitate because it's, yeah, there's no definitive yes or no, but, you know, if, what's that phrase if it looks like a and smells like a it's a yeah. <laughs> yeah um you know if it looks connected then um but again on that it's yeah it's probably case by case basis really mm. but if you're looking to loan to your spouse or partner then clearly you know yeah um it, yeah so because that loan is to an unconnected party touching on on something you mentioned earlier mark is that you're free then to negotiate market terms yeah so you're not bound by particular rules or anything like that so technically you can loan out up to a hundred percent of that pension fund to a third party yeah now you're unlikely to find a provider and a trustee that's going to let you do that because yeah. the risk involved in it is yeah, yeah kind of astronomical really especially given that there's no necessity for security or anything like that yeah so, so we're you, slightly looking at the other side of the coin here now aren't we we've, we've sort of drifted into another really interesting area so you know this is this has got my brain thinking around kind of conversations with potential angel investors um and that kind of thing who who may not have considered that their own pension pot is an opportunity for them to invest in 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 you and in in your property business as well so um so so this this is kind of what we're talking about isn't it the kind you know conversations and questions to ask potential investors about what they're you know what they're doing with their pension funds where they're invested and, and what sort of pension they've got yeah definitely definitely um yeah. especially you know if you think and, and quite rightly so and, and we've touched on it a few times that people would look at pensions as this pile of money that it's sat there i can't do a yeah. lot with it i get yeah. my statement i might open it depending you know <laughs> it depends on, on whether yeah whether i want to but most of the time it, it just goes in a drawer gets forgotten about and then you come to retirement you open it up and you go oh i'm gonna get 500 pound a month or well if you're lucky you know, probably more 500 pound a year mm. um but yes if, if you can take a keen interest on it and you know, using that example, if you had a conversation with an angel investor and, you know, you could get yourself eight, nine, 10% yield on that loan, yeah. then that's going to be a lot potentially uh, you know, a lot steadier rate of return than you might potentially get on the stock market, for example. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, that's, and, and, yeah, and again, they don't have to wait to retirement age to be able to do that, that that's something that they, they can put their pension to work for a much better return, you know, as, as, as soon as, as soon as they want to. 
yeah yeah um okay. i mean yeah. a lot of it comes down to economy of scale yeah you know you've got things to factor into it are and this is with any of these you know whether you're buying a property or loans or anything yeah. like that yeah. you're going to have legal fees there'll be costs yeah 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 you've got legal fees uh, you've got the trustee fees um you know so you've got to really kind of have a bit of a pot to start yeah. with but yeah. yeah theoretically yes proportionally can. it's got to be worthwhile in terms of the fees and stuff yeah okay yeah yeah um so in a nutshell that's sips okay there is a, a lot more things that you could potentially do with them but kind of of what's going to be of most interest yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, to, to to the listeners, and that that's probably where it kind of ends. Um, so, in, in terms of like, um, I know there'll be people. So, actually, Andy uh, is another community member who posted a question, and um, his question was around pooling together. You know, consolidating his resources, if you like. You know, he's he's worked for a few different companies. How does he go about? Well, can he? consolidate those those pension pots and how does he go about finding out where they are what they are and and, and how does that process work so that because i'd imagine there'll be people out there that are really interested in, in what we're talking about and thinking right i know i've got x y and z you know kind of um dotting around H how do i consolidate that and take an overview of what's best to do with it yeah you, you would have thought that by now there would have been an easy way of doing it wouldn't you like a central um, central hub database yeah yeah the the pension regulator a few years back um were actually looking at bringing something in uh, they were going to yeah. call it the pensions dashboard and the idea is that you'd be able to log in and it would list all of your yeah. pensions um yeah. it, it kind of got a bit quiet on it right. um, i think they realized they were maybe being a bit over ambitious um and you know actual the, the fundamentals of getting it all in place and getting all the providers to to import all of their information into a system i, I think they just kind of swept it under the rug for now without without getting too geeky over it you'd imagine the technology exists though right you know with credit it's like banking accounts, and, isn't it? it's like yeah. online banking but for your pension clear yeah. score and all the credit people that consolidate everything into one dashboard you'd, you'd mm. assume that the technology's out there yeah 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 you, you would have thought <laughs> but uh, it's playing catch up <laughs> yeah I, again i think that the problem with it is is that say for example um you've got your big um, insurance companies okay? yeah and without naming names you know there, there's one that has a, a green and um yellow logo with blue writing yeah based over in east angela um <laughs> over the years they've amalgamated and brought out a load of smaller pension companies okay. and they're all using um old systems because they would have just inherited the system that whatever that company that they purchased has used yeah uh, and, and i found that firsthand i before many moons ago before kind of moving into pensions i worked for a, a big insurance company yeah, uh, not that one, a, a different one. But they, they were still using MS DOS as their right, back office really. system. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think a lot of it is is maybe, and again, I'm not privy to, to the information that the big insurance companies have got, but for them to upgrade all of their systems to be in a place where it would talk to said 
okay. Database. Yeah. It would eat a lot of people's pension money, I guess. Well, you know, that cost's got to be put on somewhere, hasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, the insurance companies, they use the stack it high, sell it cheap method. Yeah. So, unfortunately, there isn't a central database. Yeah. What we can do, though, and one of the services that we offer is we can try and track them down for you. Right. Okay. So we need some kind of basic information from you. So, you know, company details, where you work, when you work there. Yeah. 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 Um, sometimes it, it's, it's, you know, we kind of strike gold straight away. A lot of the times it's trial and error. You know, you may have been in a pension scheme that's changed names four different times over the last 20 years. And, and often it's a case of just trying to follow the, you know, we can write off to one and they say, oh, no, it's owned by this company. And then we'll write to them and then it's owned yeah. by this company. And, and again, that's one of the failings of the pensions industry is that okay. you know, there's been that many different name changes and that many different uh, amalgamations. But um, yes, there is a way of us doing it. Unfortunately, it's not as straightforward as it probably yeah, is. It's a bit of a manual process. But but once you've once you've tracked down the various pots, it is then possible, presumably, to consolidate that and mm. to strategize about what sort of scheme you consolidate it into so obviously we've talked about sip and there'll, there'll be uh, uh, you know other types as well so but you can do that yeah you can pull it all together and then and then decide you know where it's best positioned absolutely yeah yeah well part of um the process you'd have to go through and and again this is part of what what we would do if if you were kind of engaged yeah. with us and doing it is you'd need to make sure first that there wasn't any hidden benefits or anything like that in any of your plans. So, you know, generally the older a pension is and and without getting too off topic, but generally the older that a scheme is that the more likely you're going to have what's called a safeguarded benefit. Okay. So it may be that it's, it's got a guaranteed growth rate or a guaranteed minimum value or, something that's guaranteed that basically yeah. if, if you were to move it you would lose so okay. you would have to be kind of make sure of that first do do your yeah. prep do your research yeah. um, okay. then then yes yes you can then consolidate them all together so instead of you having five or six different letters coming through all the time that all go in the draw and yeah. you could just amalgamate it into one and yeah kind of away you go with one scheme yeah yeah okay okay good so that seems if a little clunky, reasonably straightforward to, to understand how you would do that. So, yeah. okay, perfect. The, the, the benefit of it is once you've done it once, then hopefully you yeah. don't need to do it again. Yeah, okay. Um, cool. if, if it's that difficult to actually track the pension down, John, are you definitely going to get the money out of the pension company? Or is it, if, they kind of, if they're fobbing you off from uh, provider to provider, is there a chance that at the end of the day, they're kind of, the pension's gone walkabouts? Um, no, no, I mean, okay. your, your, your pension wouldn't just disappear. Um, it, it might be hidden somewhere, but it, it, it wouldn't, if you put that money in and you built up that entitlement, then, mm. then it's yours. You know, it's just a case of trying to find, find out. Find it. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, it's, the, the FCA um, have uh, some things called treating customers fairly which, which yeah. all providers and advisors adhere mm. to. And, and part of that is um, removing barriers to trade. So they can't really play hardball that much because you know, the FCA would 
kind of beyond them. Yeah. Um, mm. But it, it, it's more just trying to find it, really, is yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, that makes sense. So, so tell us about SaaS pensions then, because I think that's that's the the other main type, isn't it? That that we should potentially be interested in from a from a property point of view. So, tell us a bit about those. Yeah. So, if you think personal pensions are your most basic type, mm-hmm. SIPs are your middle of the road. SASs are like your high end, you know, kind of Ferrari of the the pension world. Yeah. Um, so SAS stands for small self-administered scheme. Yeah. Okay. And without kind of without going into too much detail about the differences between SIPs and SASs, because fundamentally there are a lot of differences. Yeah. Um, a couple of the key ones, which are going to be the most pertinent ones, are SIPs are individual contracts. So a SIP, you, you know, if the three of us had pensions, we would each have our own SIP. Yeah. Mm. Whereas SASs are collectives. Okay. Okay. So in a SAS, the three of us would pull our money together into one SAS. Right. Rather than us having three individual SIPs. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can have up to 12 people in, in a SAS. Um, so it, it gets to a point where because SIPs, you know, if you think personal pensions are the cheapest, SIPs are the, the middle band, SASs are the most expensive. It becomes a point where economy of scale kicks in, where yeah. you know, is it cheaper to have one SAS against four SIPs, for example? Yeah. Yeah. Um, SASs are all individually registered with HMRC as well. Yeah. So you've got the fact that, that there's potential time delays on setting up a SAS. Um, whereas with a SIP and a personal pension, they're all based on a master trust. Yeah. So it's already pre-signed off by HMRC. Okay. But SASs are, are individual contracts. And so at the minute, given um, you know current, current turnarounds, we, we did one um, a couple of weeks ago. That took seven weeks to get signed off. Okay. Not a huge, huge amounts of time then. No, no, it's been worse. It's been a yeah. lot worse. Um, it's been better as well. Uh, it, it all depends on timing. You know, if, you, if you're going to try and do it around a tax deadline, mm. then you, know, you, you expect to wait a bit longer. Um, but, and, and then it's all down to how many applications they have and what their staffing levels are like. Yeah. So there isn't a definitive, it takes this long. It takes however long HMRC take. So what's what's the incentive? What can you do with a SAS then that, that you can't do with other pension schemes? So primarily, the key difference between a SIP and a SAS, and this is the, the one that a lot of people talk to us about, is you can make a loan from your SAS back to your own business. Yeah. So whereas in a SIP, the loan, if you're going to do it, has got to be to an unconnected party. Yeah. In a SaaS, you can still do the unconnected loan. Yeah. But you can loan money back to your own business. Right. And uh, I'll kind of run through that because there is a set of uh, because it's a connected transaction. There's a yeah. Set of, say, are you are you limited then in terms of what you know what what rate of return you can offer and and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so. The rules are you can do a maximum of 50% of your pensions value. Yeah. 
Okay, so again, using the hundred thousand pound example, you could make a loan of fifty thousand pound from your pension back into your business. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the best way to think about it is is it's two closed loops. Okay, you've got the loan from the pension scheme to the business. Yeah. And then you've got whatever the business then does with that money. Yeah. Okay. Now, it, it, regulatory hat on that loan has got to be made to that business for a genuine business purpose. Yeah. But if that business is a property development business. Yeah, it's likely yeah. to have them. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's a genuine purpose, isn't it? At yeah. That point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first closed loop, pension scheme to business. So maximum 50%. Yep. Maximum term of five years. But you can rebase or roll it over. Okay. The repayments have got to be capital and interest. So, so you can't do it on an interest-only basis. Okay. Um, the repayments have got to be at least annually. Yeah. So you could do it monthly or, or however, but at least annually. Yeah. Um, and then the next two are sort of the, the two really that, that cause the most sticking points with them. Okay. Um, the first one is the interest rate has got to be at least 1% above base. Okay. Yeah. Which has been great. You know, yeah, it's cheap last... money at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you could go one of two ways with that. Okay, you could either do it and charge yourself, say, one or two percent above base. Yeah. Because you, you would still have to evidence that it's it's a commercial rate. Mm. Um, and you've got to think that these rules were introduced when interest rates were sort of four or five percent. So yeah. yeah. Um so you could give yourself really cheap borrowing. Yeah. So or, that that would really help if your business was at the stage where it was looking to grow and scale and it's cheap borrowing, you know, great opportunity to get things, get a project off the ground, etc. Yeah, where you potentially, you know, you're you're a fledgling business, the banks might not look at it, the some mortgage lenders might be a bit, you know, they, they might not want to lend. It's an alternative to, yeah, to that really. Yeah. Um, so presumably, you could also lend at a at a considerably higher rate which would then have the reverse benefit, I guess, wouldn't it, in terms of tax advantages to the limited company? It's as if you'd read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the interest on that uh, loan repayment yeah. is, is a business expense. Yeah. So if you've got a high corporation tax bill, you could charge yourself, as long as, again, it's commercially um, viable and, and, and commercially justifiable. Yeah. Uh, you, the interest then reduces your corporation tax, but yeah. then has the same effect as the rent earlier, like we mentioned. Where so you're, you're, build, you're helping to build the pension part. Yeah. So the next yeah. time that you look to do a loan, you've then got more money in there. So mm. the 50% is, is of a higher figure. So yeah. again, from that perspective, it's quite cyclical. Yeah. Um, then the, the kind of the, the kicker really is that it's, the loan has got to be secured as a first charge. Okay. Yeah. So no mortgages involved. Yeah. Now, again, it depends, and, and this is where it's really, really important to choose the right um, provider and, and trustee because each of the different SaaS trustees will have their own different 
uh, risk appetite and different interpretations of what they'll let you use as security. So um, kind of at the most basic end, uh, if you've got um, kind of cash in the business or stock or kind of anything like that, you could look to take the debt over that. Yeah. Um, or what we've done quite a bit with, with some clients is look to take the security as a debenture mm -hmm. over yeah. the business. Yeah. So you're not... It sits over the any assets then within the business. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not putting a physical asset up. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a floating charge over, over the business. Yeah. yeah. Um, that works really well uh, for, for clients who might go for the strategy of uh, sort of remortgaging using that equity to then buy another property, remortgage, buy a property, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or if you've got an unencumbered property, you know, you could look to use that. Yeah. Now, if you're going to look to use security over something that um, a pension can't ultimately own, so say a residential property, for example, then more often or not, the, the security will be taken over the cash value so the pension can't ever claw in that security because yeah. it can't own that residential property. Could it? It could enforce the sale, though. Essentially, that's what would happen. Yeah, yeah. So I've had the question a few times from people where they've said, "Oh well, my main residence is unencumbered. Could I use that security?" And technically, yes, you can, but you probably really, you know, shouldn't because they would come and force that sale. Mm. Um, but again, that's yeah. each different person's different set of circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so providing that, that you can meet all of those criteria, then, yeah. um, so we've moved that, we, we ticked all those boxes, everyone's happy, HMRC are happy, the pension trustees are happy, you're happy. Yeah. Um, what that money then goes into the business, there's a loan agreement in place. Yeah. Uh, business pays the loan back. Pension's got its security. Pension's happy. Yeah. yeah. That money then is, sits in the business. It's outside of the pension scheme. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's then nothing to do with the pension. Yeah. So you can then use that money once it's in the business to then buy. Residential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or uh, okay. Yeah. Whatever your strategy is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, like I said earlier, it's two closed loops. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're individual from each other. Um, so to kind of put it as a, as a kind of a full loop, let's say you um, use that loan money in the business to buy um, a HMO. Yeah. Rent comes into the business. That then pays the loan repayments. And then Fantastic. Kind of money that's in a really circle, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that's really good. It's, it's, it, all of this is a great example, isn't it, of knowledge is power in, in a sense. You know, just, just by, you know, hopefully this, this has helped people at least think about their pensions in terms of them being something that actually they can, you know, utilise as a resource, if you like, and, 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 if, and if they're strategic about it, you know, they can actually um, benefit from that pension. You know, and also even potentially bolster the pension itself. 
um, you know, just just by understanding some of these things, you know, you you realise that, uh, that that that's a really powerful conversation, both in terms of your own situation, but also potentially working with investors and other people as well. Yeah, definitely, because what a lot of people then sort of forget about is that if they do the loan, they've still got fifty percent of their pension funds. Yeah, yeah, there, which yeah. you could buy a commercial property with you could buy yeah. some land you could yeah. loan that to someone else yeah exactly yeah yeah uh so because the, bo- the bottom line is like you, most of us are are, are, are are likely to have a pension that is not going to take care of itself in itself it, it's not going to support us in terms of you know, uh, you know how you know how we would like to let meeting just even basic living costs, I guess, after retirement. So this is a way to potentially, I guess, m- like, like we're trying to do in, in in any investment way, is make that particular pot of money go further and work, work harder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're taking control of your own destiny, really. Yeah, um, yeah. As opposed to letting an insurance company just put it in a default fund that trickles away and you know you, you never have any sense of what it's doing or what it's going to make you or anything yeah. like that absolutely yeah you, you know you're looking at that pot of money thinking well i can do something with that i can help you know further if not my own portfolio i can help a jv partner or yeah. i can be an angel investor or something like that and yeah and then at that point you're controlling your own yield you're controlling your return uh, you can control your investments yeah so you would you would never invest your own kind of savings into something that you didn't know or you had no control of. But I guess so many people kind of wander into their pensions doing that for them because they don't realise that there's a better way. Yeah. 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 And a, a pension is essentially a glorified savings account. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just that if you know what's available to you and you know what the options are, uh, I think that that is probably one of the biggest failings of of the pensions industry to be fair is they do make it unnecessarily complicated so people do switch off and and i know we've joked about making pensions sexy but yeah i think that just kind of hammers on the point in itself is the fact that you have to joke about making pensions sexy shows what the sentiment around pensions are generally and and, you know yes like i said earlier i'm not i'm not here to defend the the pension industry but if you invest that little bit of time actually learning what opportunities that there are out there, then, you know, in some cases it's quite a big chunk of money that you can unlock. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, you bashed, bashed away a lot of the kind of the preconceptions that, that do exist around pensions as well, which is, which is really good. And and it just goes to show they're not as scary and, and they're not as, uh, you know, kind of dangerous as, as some people think they are. Yeah, it's a ma- it's a massive topic area, isn't it? And I think that um, you know, in a sense, you know, I can I can easily envisage we're going to be revisiting some of this in more detail in future episodes. <laughs> I think all we could probably hope to have achieved today is just exactly that, like open people's eyes mm. to the options, and so they understand how they could potentially put their their pension to good use. I know I'm like like most people now. I think I'm I'm off to the filing cabinet after this. Uh, to, to, to dig out the, the, the information that I've got. And, and you know, if we've been able to achieve that, I think that's going to be a, a, a positive, a really positive thing, just to get the ball rolling and get people thinking differently about their pension and how they might be able to put it to good use. 
no, definitely. And, um, you know, like you say, if if it means that it's highlighted even one thing that, that you didn't know that pensioners yeah. can do, then exactly. uh, hopefully it's been, been a good use of, of an hour. So. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So that's been fantastic. I know I've I've learned a huge amount from that. I know I know, I know everybody listening will have will have got a lot of 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 a benefit from that, a lot of information for that. So thank you so much for your your time and and your input there, John. If people did want to reach out to you and and uh, and get in touch or dis- discuss their circumstances or find out more about what you do, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. If I'm more than happy to to have a chat to anyone, um, whether it be, you know, can you help me find out what my old pensions are or I've got this scenario, would this work or or to generally have a chat? You know, Um, I'm I'm up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Best ways to get in touch with me are either email. So uh, it's John, J-O-N at charlesdeanuk.com. Uh, mobile is 07584 012 369. Uh, website is www.charlesdeanuk.com. And there's a, a contact us section on there as well. So, brilliant. Either and, of those ways. Yeah. And we'll pop all of that into the show ah. notes as well down below. So, you'll, they'll, they'll have all those contact details as well. So, that's fantastic. John, thank you so much for your time. That's been absolutely brilliant. Um, Jane, thank, thank you so much. You. Thank you, James. Well, good to see you. Um, Take care. I hope everybody enjoyed that episode and we will will catch you on the next one. Yeah, looking forward to speaking speaking to you all soon. See you soon. Thank you. I hope you found this episode really useful. If you want to connect with us directly, you can do that over on the Property Wealth System community page on Facebook, along with a friendly and down-to-earth group of other investors, mentors and property people. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you can keep up to speed with all of our latest interviews, panel shows and deal diaries. I'll catch you on the next episode.